Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. start chapter two they talk about consultative selling and how it's changed and how sellers must adapt i don't necessarily agree with their definition of consultative selling Mm -hmm. but do do you think that really consultative selling has been that affected by the use of video rather than physical face-to-face no i think it's always been there Uh, i think i mean the biggest difference is i think it now matters more um, so, I mean, if you look at just the kind of the kind of types of sales functions we have and types of sales people, those that aren't doing it, those that are more kind of the order takers, the um, the, the sales enablement kind of yes. people, um, they're, they're going to struggle, I think. And it's going to become not just because of the, the, the virtual working, but also because we're going to see more automation, more changes to the way that people buy and actually find information out. Um, and those kind of roles whereby we're not actually adding value to the sales process, we're just enabling it. Are, well, do you think that the, this uh, virtual world we now live in is going to accelerate that, the demise of the order taker? I think so, yeah. Well, I think not just the, the virtual world, but also the automation that's inevitably going to come. Because it's interesting, I read something yeah. about how um, there's so many firms furloughed people and you know not it firms but you know general firms furloughed people and, and all the rest of it and actually that 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 they worked out that those functions that they furloughed can be replaced by automation and oh, COVID really? is yeah and covid has created this environment that's that's been brilliant for the automation software companies where they're saying listen you just don't need to get that finance person back you can replace it with an rpa technology and I wonder how that same is going to be true of how automation affects the sales force. Yeah, I agree. It's going to. It's, I don't think. I think it's going to be evolving. It's not going to be immediate. No. Um, and but but it's going to it's going to be a change as well that, that kind of works hand in hand with this this virtual world. I think because because the, there will have been some companies who used outsourced telemarketers. You'd have thought, and those outsourced telemarketers will have been a room full of a hundred kids on phones. Mm-hmm. And those hundred kids on phones won't have been able to do it for whatever reason, and they'll have replaced it with some clever outreach software or something like that. And those hundred kids on phones will now be replaced by fifty kids on phones and a big outreach bit. And that's where it's going to change the selling landscape, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And a lot of that depends on the nature of the of the nature of the sale and the nature of the solution, though, Mike. I think if it's yeah, but little- I think also. Sorry, I think if it's a low involvement solution, if it's five grand order values and actually I can download a trial, set it up and configure it myself, yeah, I think, why do I need a salesman for that? I think if it's a high involvement solution that requires serious configuration or it's quite complex, you know, particularly in our world in technology where a lot of it's about integration, connection to other technologies, a lot of professional services to ensure that the that it actually runs and works how the customer wants it to work, then there's always going to be a higher level of involvement and there's going to be a longer, larger, and more in-depth conversation. But what I do think is if you're selling something that's transactional, 
and where there's not a lot of value added by the product other than the product itself and actually the customer can buy it and do it himself, then yeah, I, I, I think the implications I do of agree. for selling are very, very deep. I do agree, but the IT market has a marvellous way of making itself more transactional. Mm. And that's running in parallel. You know, you look at the puppy dog sale, you know, have our software for 30 days free and the way the information is now bled into it. If you've got these two things running in parallel, haven't you? You've got that virtual selling and the IT market is making itself more transactional. Yeah. It's going that way. That, but that's driven by a lot of venture capitalists that want scale, Mike. Oh, yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you. It's, it's the holy grail. Yeah. Sorry, Dave. It's, it's driven by consumption. As I say, it's driven by consumption as well, maturity. Yes. I mean, yes. The, the, more, the more buyers understand something, the more comfortable they are in going to the, the next part of that. If it's mm-hmm. just something that sits inside their network, I need another one, I'll go and get another one. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's maturity. So I, I, I'd sort of say that the consulting sale tends to be more sort of bleeding edge of where the technology is. Where, where do you want to go next? Where are we where are we going? That's why it still remains fairly high in technology and IT and cyber. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because we're always pushing that boundary. We're always looking for something more. Sometimes it's not, it's not true, but that's what we're doing. Um, whereas something which is very much more mature, I worked in antivirus back in the day. Nobody really consults on selling antivirus anymore. <laughs> you kind of, you kind of move. I'm going blue. I'm going green. Let's do a red one this year. You know, I, I don't think that's, um, I think that will always start to become more automated simply because it, it moves along that, that, that chain. Mm. So is it a fair conclusion to say that actually the importance of effective salesmanship at both a virtual and face-to-face level is dependent, therefore, on the extent to which the sale presents a gap between where a customer might be and where they want to be? In as much as the bigger the leap the more the need for the salesperson and the consultative sale, the less yeah. of the leap, the less of the need for the salesperson and the consultative sale. So. Yeah. Is that I, I, I think so. And I don't think that's driven by virtual selling. I think that's no, driven it just by is market. By market and, you know, forces. You, absolutely. And if you're the author of the book and you want to find out that people are, are not, you know, they're automating, not consulting, then ask people who are buying a certain product, not a different one. Yeah. They you, talk- you can steal anything, I think. And, yeah, I think that's fair, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the biggest difference between the two is, is just the relationship piece. It's around a lot of that consultative selling around education of the customer and actually questioning the customer comes with trust, comes with insights, comes with the ability to actually engage in a certain level. And, and that's built out of not just meeting in a, in a room somewhere. It's built out of those conversations in the lift or making a coffee or down the pub after a, after a day's work or whatever else it be. And that's the difference, yeah. I guess. And they talk about that, don't they? They say that missing bit of the sales meeting, the missing bit of the appointment. Uh, in psychotherapy, they call it the door handle comment um, that comes out just as the patient's just about to leave the room. Oh, and by the way, <laughs> there was that awful trauma I had when I was seven. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's the same thing sometimes when you're on client site, isn't it? There's the... The, the, that little throwaway comment as you walk down the corridor back to the left with the customer where they just say something you think oh, right okay now I understand this problem yeah, uh, yeah. and that's often the, the different that's, that's a big difference I think they are well, I think they're very right about that yeah I mean how much do you learn about your clients over a pint of beer 
you know, Russell oh. just alluded to it. That's the reality, isn't it? You learn an absolute bucket load about them. Yeah. And what they learn about you. What are you doing? What are you doing now? Oh, I'm going to knock it off. Today. Would you like a pint before we go? Well, you know, exactly. just having a quick pint, socialising with the client, and they're telling you loads more about your pro- their problem. Exactly. But then you've also got the ability to put a call in a week later and ask them a very direct question that you're going to struggle with if you haven't had that beer before. Yeah, because you've got that, ex, that depth of rapport. Yeah. That's, and, and they're right in the book about the... What annoyed me about the book was they talk about rapport and they just are miles off in, in the mm. chapter about building rapport. I mean, literally, whew, I got grumpy reading it. But they're absolutely right about the fact that actually it is miles harder to develop that rapport now. Do you agree, Mike, it's harder? Uh, do I agree? It's not for me and you because we do it on the phone. Um, do I agree? Uh, I, I think it's interesting. So during um, what we've, you know, since COVID, so since March, I've got more and more into the AI space. So a lot of those companies are very new. So a lot of those companies I haven't dealt with before. And a lot of that is new name, new logo, new business. Now, have I found it harder? I don't know. What I've found is the output has been about the same. And to put some maths into it, I think I've got more uh, connections, more contact, but of a lower quality. So whereas if it had all been face-to-face getting in my car, I'd have fewer connections of better quality, whereas now I've got more connections of lower quality. And it would be interesting, neither of these two guys are going to show it to us, but if we could see a sales pipeline, I suspect most sales pipeline have got more items of lower quality. Not because the salespeople aren't as good, just because you can't quite get into it. So the actual outcome itself, Jonathan, has been better. And I'm, and I'm more mindful of the outcome than necessarily analyzing it at that level but then i think where we're able to do now is build rapport much more quickly because we're all sort of in the same boat you know yes. it'd be a bit like being on a sinking ship we've all if you read the book um uh, there's a book that i like called the likability factor and it says friendships are created by friendliness relevance empathy and realness We've all, we've all now instantly got um, instant relevance and instant empathy. You know, how are you getting on? I guarantee these two guys sat opposite us. What are you doing this Christmas? Yeah, I'm not seeing all my family. Yeah. Have you been on holiday this year? Have you been on holiday this year? Yeah, I went to Wales. I had Disneyland Florida booked, but I thought I'd can that for Wales. Everybody's got, <laughs> the, everybody's got the same story, and that's allowed us to engage a little bit more and that takes the barrier down a little bit, I think. Long answer to your question. So does that, does that make virtual selling easier? I think so, yeah. Yeah, because the buyer is sat there saying, I'm going to meet you quicker. I think, I think a lot of it, you know, canvassing, buyers are actually picking up the phone. I think buyers are sat at the, you know, my, certainly my buyers, sales directors. Actually, yeah. Yeah. I think they're actually quite happy to talk to me because they've There's been no sat there at the screen for hours. <laughs> no, gatekeepers. no gatekeepers. There are no gatekeepers. It, it's been miles easier. Miles, loads easier. Yeah. Canvassing has been definitely. It, it, yes, yeah. people are sat in front of their emails rather than in front of their car. You know, I've heard a few pings going round. Mine's been pinging. You've all been getting notifications at some point during this call. One of you will have got a notification and thought, "Well, I'll just look at that quickly." A year ago, when you were sat in your car, you wouldn't have looked at that notification. Mm-hmm. Depending, 
depending on what kind of driver you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, actually, in How the book... How many points you've it got? Talks, yeah, it talks about... I can't remember what it's called now, the engagement factor. Um, and it talks about basic... Uh, the engagement threshold... And it says, in a virtual meeting, if you fail to engage the buyer and keep it interesting, you may not even notice, but the buyer completely changed the channel. I thought I that was really that, good. Yes. And very relevant. I think so, yeah. I thought it was one of the best bits of the book, actually. Doesn't tell you how to fix it. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. Do you know, I found myself changing the channel with a prospect the other week. Sat in a meeting with the prospects, I thought, you're boring. And before I knew it, I was actually, he was talking and I was on bbc.co.uk forward slash rugby league. I know that's disgraceful, isn't it? What a disgrace. But it's interesting. I spoke to one of my clients that I've known for ages yesterday. He picked up the phone and went, sounds like you're on a web call. He went, yeah, there's 35 of us, Mike. We're all going through our numbers. Oh, I get that all the time. Yeah. All the time. Oh, don't worry, Johnny. you to speak? Yeah, yeah, it's fine, yeah. Yeah, 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 I'm on a conference call. (laughs) <laughs> we spoke we spoke for about 10 minutes he went right see you switched it back on and he went yeah. but then this, this brings it back again it's about I guess it, when we're talking to people both in, in meetings but virtually even more so collaboration becomes more and more important doesn't it yes yes and what they talk about on- that in the book don't they about the importance of sucking the individual into the conversation more and creating more what they talk about is collaboration and, and building the rapport. And they're, right, they're absolutely right in the book about the importance of that. And they talk about but, using things like Miro for whiteboarding and creating a, a meeting that's, that's agenda. That's the best bit of the book. Think, best bit of the book like is shared, shared workspaces with clients. Yeah, best bit of the book, that. Absolutely. Go on, tell me more about what, what, why that's cut it for you, Mike. Because I... I because this term collaboration, right, is just an overused cliche that nobody really knows what it means. We just chuck collaboration in there. How are you collaborating with your clients? Nobody really knows. But actually, if you can get them into it, there's all kinds of bits in the book about pre-qualifying meetings, prior to sitting down, can you answer these questions? And then can we have a shared workspace? And all of a sudden, it's about truly collaborating, to use the cliche, with your clients in the same space. And I do think that is something you can do virtually that you didn't do when we were meeting people physically because you didn't need to. Whereas actually now, you know, you can see why Slack got bought, can't you think? Right, I can see why you guys got bought. Yeah. And it's one of those, as you say, it's, it's easier to do that virtually than it is in, in a meeting. Well, we would never have done that before, would we? We just would never have done it. I mean, you might have stood up and got a pen out and do some stuff on the whiteboard, but you're not, you haven't got that buy-in from everyone. Yeah, but then you walk out the room and the whiteboard's left there. Whereas yeah. now we have the whiteboard and we're sharing it all the time. You know, I do some yeah. recruitment for you and you go, oh yeah, this person isn't quite right because I want someone that's five foot ten and they're five foot six. And I go, five foot ten? Well, you're only five foot four yourself. And we just sort of banter a little bit and that's it. But that's the engagement that you can now get that you never could previously. So what yeah. tools are you using, Russell and Dave, in terms of building that collaboration with clients? Uh, I use, I mean, screen sharing, obviously. And just, just I mean... If it's so, we use a thing called a map or a mutual activity plan quite a lot, which is just working out what the goals are for the customer, what their ultimate aim is, what the timeframes are, right. and then working together on exactly what the stages are they need to go through to get there so we're on the same page. And that's typically something we, we would do before, try and make a guess at it, and then go to a meeting maybe and say, we'll pull this together, do you agree? 
Now what we're doing is we're actually putting the screen up and saying, right, mm-hmm. this is where we want to get to. Let's work together on that. How do we actually get to this place we're trying to achieve? What's the stages from your perspective? What do you mean from us? And that's very, very simple to actually do collaboratively on the call. Where you, before, it would be very difficult to do um, inside a meeting. That's yeah. got to be powerful, that, a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah, I think we, when, we were, when we speak to clients, we used to present to them. Here's, here's where we see you. Here's where we see the account. Here's where we want to go. So it's Russell, screen share, put it up there and say this is where it is and change it. And I think there and then on the fly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely on the fly. But then it's the speed at which you can share it back out. So again, you're not back in your car, you're not on the train, you're going back and then in the evening typing it up. You're doing it there and then. You can share it with everybody. Well, they do make comments about that, about how you can now fill in your CRM system as you're doing stuff. Just, yeah, yeah. I've absolutely. saved it so long uh, with clients Whereas once a client would brief me, I'd handwrite it, blah, blah, blah. Whereas now, you know, I just type everything. And I know it's a daft time save that, but I just save so much time doing that now. And I don't think that's just a time save, Michael. I think, you know, again, from a sales management perspective, one of the biggest things you've got is the discipline around CRM. If you're thinking about the pipeline, you're thinking about where you are, and you're thinking about the sharing of that with your team internally, that is one of the biggest bugbears of any sales management team. Yes, I'm sure. Where are we? What's going to happen this month versus next quarter? And if you can do it there whilst you're doing it, it's, it's a massive time saver. And how has yeah, that changed then? As sales leaders, has that improved people's CRM discipline, given that they they are sat in front of their CRM on their screen as they're with a customer? Massively. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've got, you got to look at the, the work instruction for us. So some, some of my guys are there, they'll have two, three meetings a day. They're driving like, 200 miles and then they're expected to come back and make sure the CRM's up to date when they're getting indoors at 8.30 at night. It's mm. nuts. Um, and that, that was the way it works, and that was the expectation of people. Um, and invariably, the information either wasn't there or wasn't actually um, valuable to us. Well, that's changed. That has actually made a big difference. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's current, relevant, quick. And in reality, if the client's okay with it, and they talk about this, you can record the meeting. Um, yeah. we've got, there's some great technologies now. I use one sometimes called otter.ai, which is a Zoom plugin. Just transcribes the whole meeting. All of it. Transcribed. So you could throw the, entri- the entire transcript of a meeting straight into your CRM, which is, you know, that's, it's nuts as a concept. Now, in the past, you'd have to walk into a meeting with a customer and say, listen, if it's okay, I'm going to make a recording of the meeting. And the customer would be like, you what? Record our conversation? I don't think so. <laughs> so I, I do think that's a significant advantage because I don't, uh, uh, you, very rare I think people would say now if you walked into a Zoom meeting and say, okay, if I just hit the record button, it means I can transcribe the meeting using an app and I can throw all the notes into my CRM, I can share them and we can make sure we've listened to you carefully and any questions I've got thereafter as a result, I might be able to ring you back and ask you. I've got a female so, client, she wouldn't like that. What, that you were recording the meeting? Yeah, she swears a lot and says a lot of politically a incorrect lot, things. yes. <laughs> Lots of things where you go, you just can't say that. She says a lot of things that her HR department would want to discuss that client. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, about specific candidates that shouldn't be said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So chapter okay. three, it talks about mastering the medium, virtual setup. Johnny, you must have hated this. Um, it's a bugbear for me because you know I'm a nerd and I, I believe exactly. in good audio, and I believe in good lighting. To be fair, I'm a bit shiny today, actually. And uh, maybe I should have put some makeup on before the call. Yeah, uh, that probably as, was the head, obviously. Yes. 
I did learn. I do think the technology's come along brilliantly now. Um, my, my biggest problem from virtual meetings is we live in a rural village where broadband has yet to arrive. Um, and that's really hurt us, particularly when my daughter was at home doing virtual college and the kids were at home. That actually made virtual working very difficult. You know, Izzy's mm-hmm. off in a car to college um, face-to-face today and the missus is downstairs on the phone, so I've got plenty of bandwidth. But it, we really struggled with that. And they did say, make sure you've got broadband. Well, actually, when you live in the middle of Bardsey, it's, it's easier said than done because the entire broadband rollout stopped the moment the pandemic began. Um, and how and how much do we all look at the surroundings that our prospects, in this case you guys aren't prospects, but our co, co-meeting people are, oh, yeah. are in? Well, it's like a little you know, the keyhole, isn't it? <laughs> it it's we, um, brilliant. brilliant. I love going into people's <laughs> we do, houses. We do an internal call and uh, not a prospect call. But every week, people change something in the background and it's every answer job to find out what it is. <laughs> That's cool. But it, but it's interesting though, isn't it? Because see, Russell's got a background. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I haven't, Johnny, Johnny normally has a background actually, but hasn't today. Yeah. And then, I, and then I'm looking over, thinking to myself, I wonder about that book called Winners on Dave Shelvis, Dave Shelfies. And, yeah. but Joe, you know, to me, it's an interesting yeah. mm-hmm. Sort of insight. You're nodding. You're, you're nodding, Russell. You must meet some of your prospects, and it must. You must be able to sort of create just simple rapport much more quickly. I guess it's it's usually a talking point. I've got so I've got lots of different backgrounds I use. The reason I'm using backgrounds is because I'm working in my garage, and it's not a very uh, professional background <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I get it. But that's the point, is that you must meet people online and go, "All oh, right, so you're into fly fishing by J.R. Hartley, or whatever it might yeah, be." And it is that give that instant uh, something to talk about. Yeah, it? Just, and this is my job. I've never read it, Michael. I just put it there because I knew you'd spot it. <laughs> yeah, I've never read any of them. <laughs> I'll tell you, Mike. I've got a few things that really bother me with virtual meetings. There was a girl on LinkedIn the other day that was saying that she was doing coaching on how to do virtual meetings, and um, she did a video talking about how she was going to do coaching on virtual meetings, and the video was shot with the camera. A 45 degree angle. It looked like that, where the camera was up a nose. <laughs> and I, I just thought, you're going to charge people to tell them how to run virtual meetings. Very pretty girl, very attractive girl, um, which will have helped her in certain ways. That's a whole other conversation for a whole other day. Um, but it, that's a big bugbear for me. And it surprises me sometimes when I end up on a meeting, I might meet a candidate or, a, or, a, or a, I have to brief a candidate and I have to say, listen, do tell, tell me you're going to make the camera at head height here. And it's amazing. People go, really? Yeah. And do tell me, and where I'll say, do me a favor, make sure the light's in front of your face, not behind your face. Oh, really? Why is that? Oh, well, because you look like um, an, a, an interview on an IRA um, interview from 1986. <laughs> talking, do you know what I mean? They look like terrorists. Don't yeah, they? yeah. And, yeah, and I do that, that basic level of professionalism, I still don't think is fully filtered through. And part well, of that, the, the, one, one second, Mike, part of that is yeah, yeah. The, kits, the kit was hard to get. You know, on March the 10th, I bought a new webcam 
because I knew that webcams were going to be impossible to buy the week later. And I thought, I'm going to buy the highest definition webcam I can get because I'm going to spend the next year of my life on video calls here. Um, But then if you looked online on March the 21st, 22nd, you could not get a webcam for love no money. Um, Video lighting, couldn't get it because actually the smart people all went out and bought lights because they thought, oh, I'm going to need a ring light here. I'm going to be on video calls for the rest of my life. To be fair, you know, my missus is downstairs now. She's got a ring light. She looks. I've got one on my desk. Yeah, little ring light because you yeah, want people to see you. So I think, yeah, there is there's some basic professionalness. I've noticed Phil Libin, who um, built Evernote and got out of it because he never quite turned it into the unicorn he thought it was going to be. He's got another business now called Mm-hmm, um, which is a virtual meeting app that looks brilliant, but I just haven't had the time to toy with yet. Um, but he's gone right into the virtual meeting business and he'll obviously make a load of money out of it. It looks really neat as a way of background removal and bringing slides to the front, but you still in the video. It's like doing that collaboration selling bit, but absolutely on steroids. And I would imagine that will get incredible uptake over the next few months. He'll do well with it. What what are you guys finding? Well, I wanted to make a point going back to what Michael said earlier around the book in terms of some of those practicalities that were missing. Because when I was reading the book in preparation for this, got ironic, I'm looking at it going, I don't think I've got the right microphone here. <laughs> Not sure how my lighting's worked. I better, you know, so there were, there were some things there that immediately, you know, said to me, yeah, this, this is something I hadn't thought about in the same way. And I think that's probably where a lot of salespeople go. They're thinking about the selling, maybe, but they're not thinking about their environment and their setup towards selling. Yeah. That's something I'd like to have seen a little bit more in the book, which is why I, I quite like chapter three, because I thought it was quite pragmatic. Yeah, yes. simple as, wasn't it? It just, it, they, they gave some very simple tips. I, I felt that they took it from somebody else's infogram, but it was yeah. still quite pragmatic. Yeah. I'll tell you something that's not covered in there, which is quite important, um, uh, is dress code. Oh, yes, Russell. Um, and I mean, we're all smartly dressed today, but you'd be amazed the amount of conversations I have where people are in their tracksuits or, and senior people as well. And it's, it just doesn't do, get Do you mean people that work for you or your prospects? Our prospects or, or, um, and our suppliers and our partners and things. It's, uh, you can see that uh, the thought's not there. And the reason we, we put a suit and tie on or whatever else in previous was to have those business meetings, but that seems to have gone out of the window. A I wouldn't now. want to be selling suits at the minute. Yeah, oh, no. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think that's a really valid point, Russell. Um, and for me, yeah. I had one the other week. It was the same guy, the Australian, that I met at half nine at night. I put jacket and shirt on, and he looked like he was on his way to the beach. Um, and actually, deep down, in all honesty, I was a little bit of... When I re- reviewed the whole thing in my own mind over the next couple of days, I thought, that was a bit offensive, really. And, and it, it, yes, it's his prerogative. It's disrespectful, as the, I guess, isn't it? Yes, it's his prerogative as the customer to not have to wear a suit. He's buying, and I'm selling. But I just thought, and I've, I've had a couple of other customers where I've, where they've done it, where one guy was in his cycling kit. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, great. I know you're going cycling, and yeah, I know it's the pandemic. Yeah, I know, but could you not put a shirt on, mate? Do you see any, you see any generational piece to that? Yes. I mean, I've, I've made several comments about this on LinkedIn. Um, 
maybe I'm weird, but I get up in the morning and I put on jeans and a shirt and I have jackets. And I, for me, it's, I go to work, you know, it's still business. Um, I think that I put a couple of posts about it on LinkedIn where I got absolutely leathered for being a dinosaur. I mean, crucified uh, that I was a dinosaur and that that's not how business is done. But I think there's an element of dress. Doesn't We don't all have to sit here with suits and ties on, I get it. But I think there's an element of, I've tied myself up, I've shaved around my beard, I've washed my hair, that... And I'm nervous that losing that, I think, is very dangerous. Because it's a mark of respect for a customer, isn't it? And it's about saying, I'm a pro, I do this for a living. Yeah. And and then it becomes becomes appropriate or not appropriate. I mean, I'll have a a shirt ready, just in case. You know, I might have internal. Everybody on the internal call at the moment is wearing a hoodie. It seems to be the staple sort of dress. See, I wouldn't. But, see, I just wouldn't do that. I know I'm a real stick in the mud, but yeah, I just, yeah. I, I, I couldn't meet my colleagues in a hoodie. It would just yeah. mess with e- my e- head. Everybody I got. I mean, look, we've got a lot of technical people. They're slightly younger, but I've got a shirt ready. You know, just just in case, if if you if you guys said, "Have you got a call?" I probably wouldn't come on here in a hoodie. But if I've got an internal call, I probably want you know I want to be part of, of what that is, which is being more appropriate. What, one of my one of my clients recently fired one of his salespeople, and he said the nail in the coffin was when she met on the team meeting from her local park. Mm-hmm. He said that was it. He said that was a nail in the coffin for me. That Mike. He said, "Why was she in the park?" And I said, "What did you make of that?" You know the guy, Johnny. I said, "What did you make of that?" He said, "It was a arrogant, and it's not like she was knocking it out the park number wise. It was arrogant." And it said to me, I don't care about you. And I think that's what it says to a prospect, doesn't it? If you turned up in it, I mean, techies and prospects and salespeople, I get the, the difference between it all. But I think that if I met a prospect online, scruffily, I think the prospect would say, that's arrogant. Yeah. Russell, yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd meet there. somebody outside that company without a, a collar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's a polo shirt or a shirt. And, and I've, that might be generational, as I say. What do you, what's your, so Russell, you'll sometimes meet some of your salespeople online mm-hmm. and you'll think, you look scruffy. Now, you probably don't, Russell, because you don't want to be called on it. <laughs> but if let's, if let's say theoretically that happened, <laughs> what do you, do, you, do you bring that up or do you just think, yeah, well, we'll just leave it and see what happens? So it depends the context. I mean, it's the same as the office. We had dress down day in the offices before and people come in. But if you're client facing, if you're trying to make a certain impression or whatever else, there's a certain expectation around how you dress, how you how you conduct yourself. Um, and so if it was a, a one-to-one meeting with me, I probably wouldn't mind too much. If it was a, um, a customer-facing meeting or even a bigger team meeting, um, then yes, it's something. And especially when we're doing kind of global meetings and I want to make sure the right impressions of other regions yeah, yeah. is there well, as well. Well, you'll have five or six guys who work for you. You're meeting another Russell Pool of Germany or whatever. The Germans all turn up looking all nice and smart and your guys come on with a hoodie. It's, it's a bit like your kids, isn't it? It reflects on you. Your kids are messing around the dinner table. Everyone else is sitting politely. Oh, exactly, yeah. yeah. Right. I'll let them know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think there's a generational thing in there. And you know, like the thing about the young lady meeting somebody from the park. Yes. A lot of that is about 
that generation of salespeople working out what is and isn't acceptable. Yeah, she was, she's young. She's young. Uh, and that, we, that, and, that and as leaders, we've got to look at how we've allowed that to happen. Uh, yeah, I, I, don't bl- I don't blame them, I blame us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it comes down to all this, this, this interaction or interface between work and, and home life. Is that segregation is just eroding, isn't it? Yeah. So that, that's part of the reason I, I uh, dress in, in work attire, actually, mm. for that exact reason, so you can get changed at the end of the day. Yeah, it's yeah. an analogue mark for you, isn't it, Mike? Yeah, yeah, hugely, yeah, hugely. It's, a, it's an analogue yeah. signal that says work has finished, play has begun, yeah. play has finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's something actually missing in the book. It's, yes. It's that, it's that separation. You know, I mean, we, you talked you talk right early on, Jonathan, about kind of having that separated workspace. Yeah. You know, that's what I have in my house. We've got all the kids home at the moment, you know, and, and that becomes really, really difficult. Whereas before you had that decompression piece, you had... Journey. You sat in your car listening to the radio for 20 minutes. Made a big difference, that. Absolutely. Your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah it, it, it makes a big yeah. difference. Whereas it, now you leave your home office. I read this thing online and it said, do you work from home or do you live at work? Hmm. A very subtle thing to say that, actually. Like that, yeah. yeah. Uh, absolutely. You know, when, when my office is done and it's all sorted out in the garage and stuff, it will be a workplace. Well, if your garage isn't attached to your home, which yours isn't, you yeah. actually can leave your house and walk to your garage. Correct. It's five, it's five metres, but it's five metres as a commute. It's a, a real commute. I've got to go to work. Um, and I was talking to the missus the other night. I'm saying I'm going to keep my music kit in the house because actually I want that to be my workplace, not <clears throat> my play place. Mm-hmm. And it's about that. I think that separation is key. Okay. What else did we think about this one then, guys? Are you ready? I'm ready for you. <laughs> I, I, I thought something that it covered, not well enough, but did cover, was about staying motivated whilst working at home. Breaking stuff into hourly... I, I thought it was quite good, that. I think it's... Um, when you know me, Johnny, I, I, I have always, and I suspect always will, break my entire working day down into hourly slots. Yeah. And I think actually staying motivated at home... I can see how that will be difficult. There's a lot of distractions. Like I was saying to Russell earlier, you're not sat next to your mate who's sort of, you know, if you were sat next to your mate in the office, you wouldn't go on Facebook. Mm. Whereas if you were sat at home with no one sat next to you, you might go on Facebook. And that yes. freedom and flexibility, I think, I think put, staying motivated working from home will be very difficult for lots of people. I bet it's been brutal for some people. You know, there's no sales board. There's no... You know, there's no ringing a bell when somebody sells something. There's none of that, is there? There's no sales conference. There's no annual sales. You know, I'm sure, you know, Dave, Dave and Russell still have sales, monthly sales meeting where people present the figures. Different presenting your figures in person to it is online. It's different, that. The interrogation, yeah. Yeah. The presentation is not, not too much, but the interrogation is because you, you, lack, you lose that ability to really dig into somebody in the same way. I think, it's, yeah. I think it's more than that. I think, I think salespeople and people in general are self-conscious beasts. Mm. I suspect it's a lot easier to present a bad number when you're sat from home than it is to present a bad number stood in front of your colleagues. Yeah, correct. And actually, if, you, if you're an away from guy, that motivation, therefore, because you know you're going to get to your sales number sat at home, it must be put less pressure on you, I suspect. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, absolutely. That that whole concept of turning up at the sales meeting, parking your car, 
getting out of the car, walking how to the meeting your, how room. How was your month? Oh, God. Walking to the meeting room and knowing you've got to tell your, tell your peers and your boss, and possibly even your boss's boss in the sales <laughs> meeting, yeah, uh, I've stunk the place out this quarter and I've not closed anything. Yeah. Whereas I think that's a lot easier to do on a video call. Yeah. M- much easier. And therefore, much easier to get away with. Although I have to say, I've, I've spoken to a few people recently where I think leaders in a virtual sales environment have become quite, and I, 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 I've got a lad resigning from a job at half nine today. Um, it'll be my first call after this meeting. And he said that their business, one of the reasons he was looking for a job after five years was he said that in the pandemic, the sales culture had become toxic. And I said, in what way? And he said, it's like my boss has turned into a different human being. His inability to control has made him unbelievably aggressive and nasty. And he's roasting people in the weekly meeting in a vicious way. And he he said, it's just created a very toxic sales culture where the guy's on top of people all the time. Now, that's actually a deficiency in the leader himself. And possibly a shift in what's going on inside the business. Maybe he's under more pressure, whatever. But I'm hearing a lot more of that. People using this phrase toxic. Now, maybe that's the woke millennial generation that used this word toxic more. You know, we never used it. We just said, oh, he's a bastard. Fuck him. <laughs> um, we, yeah. we, we, we were just more, we were like, yeah, whatever. We were a bit, bit more hardy. Not so much hardy. We just weren't, we didn't know it was as acceptable to be as quote unquote triggered. But um, I'm, I'm hearing a lot more of that, where That's certain true. employers are becoming very oppressive because they can't get people in a room, I think. So, so if anything, I'd say I, I'm less aggressive now. Are you? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, in a sales meeting before, it would have been, in a team meeting, it would have been very black and white. Present your numbers, let's explain that. Put the person on the spot because that's what sales is all about to a certain extent. But there would have always been a, an after meeting where it would have been one-to-one. I would have sat down with them, reassured yeah. them we're working together to make sure that's going to happen, whatever else, and have that, that relationship meeting, which you can't do on virtually very easily. So I tend yeah. to be less direct in sales meetings now because I don't want to kind of give that impression that they're on the spot and... Um, and make them feel anxious without having the ability to actually talk about it afterwards in any meaningful way. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah. And I think there's an element of, I think if you're giving, there's an element of you making people anxious in their own home. That's a different boundary, isn't it? Then listen, I'm going to give you some grief in the sales meeting here. We talked last quarter about the importance of activity. You didn't really get your activity up. As a result, you sat here having had a bad quarter and you've earned no commission. And I'm under pressure because my boss over in the States giving me grief about the fact you've sold nothing. Um, where, and that's easy to do when a, when, when a human being is not in their own home. I think then there's almost a, that whole thing of, it's almost invasive, isn't it? Giving somebody grief whilst they're sat in their own home as a, as a sales leader. I think mm. that's a whole different well, of, psychological concept. What do I make sales commercial property? Can you imagine how hard that is at the moment? (laughs) And my daughter and his daughter are quite good friends. And his daughter said to my daughter, yeah, my daddy got a big shouting at today. (laughs) And I mean, I know this guy's house well. He's a mate of mine. 
And his office is on the top floor. He's got a three-story house. His office is on the top floor of his house and his daughter must have been downstairs. So imagine how much his boss was shouting at him for his daughter to be sat in the kitchen and have said that. So I think you're going to see a little bit more of that, aren't you? You know, yeah. To back to Dave's point, if you have a bad day at the office and you lose a sale, you've got half an hour to decompress as you're driving home. Mm-hmm. And by the time you walk through the door, you know, you see your kids, you're chilled out a little bit. Whereas actually when you work from home and you lose a sale and you sat in your office and then you walk out, into your hallway, different for you, Russell, because you sat in your garage, but you walk out into your hallway, you ain't got much time to decompress before your seven-year-old daughter says, you're right, Daddy. Yeah. yeah. Let's play, Daddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, you look, at, you look at the book, I think those are, those are some of the real important, interesting things about that virtual summit. Because it works in reverse as well. People with a seven-year-old daughter can walk straight into your room. Yeah. Yes, no, I mean, how, many, how many times does the dog bark when, when the postman comes? Oh, that's like, literally, that's literally where I just oh. went. I don't know if you can hear it. The dog was going <laughs> mental. Oh, thinking, my oh, dog goes nuts when the postman comes. you heard my dog, you'd think it was an Alsatian. <laughs> I, thought, I, thought, I thought this... So, so the, the best chapter in the book, one of them was about um, how to collaborate with buyers virtual, which we've talked about with the shared white space. That was excellent. Yeah. And the other, th- I thought that was really, really, really good. And there's a bit on page 211 and it's called the productivity code. Uh, and for me, that is the best part of it. Uh, really? And it took, yeah, yeah, I think it's really good. It talks about the different habits. Habit one, recruit your drive. Habit two, ignite your productivity. Habit three, Re-engineer your habits. Habit four, obsess about time. Obsess over time. Very good. Russell's nodded, but that is so important because you can waste half a day working from home. Yeah. It just drifts through your fingers. Yeah. And there you go, there's a tenth of my week gone. Oh, can you just go out and pick up the uh, gusto delivery that's just arrived? Yeah, right. Well, I wouldn't do that, Jonathan. That's concentration broken. Concentration (laughs) broken. You need to re-establish concentration. That, that, that's, it, that's one part of it. It's not so much that. It's more, you know, like the dog goats barking. You're doing something, dog barks. I don't know about you guys, but literally the delivery driver knows me so well that <laughs> I was a mile from my house the other day and he stopped his car and said, hey, Mike, right, okay, <laughs> this is bad. But the delivery driver comes to your door. You've just broken your concentration. Mm. Yeah. Gone. So, uh, yeah. So, so that's a lot to do with momentum. Yes, yeah. exactly. It breaks your momentum. And that's why I wonder, I sort of like look at some of this, is maybe, maybe days need to be split into task orientations as opposed to time orientations. Well, he just sort of alludes to it, doesn't it? He talks about time orientations in here, which I think is pretty good, actually. Yeah. I really think that's quite good. He also talks about um, using your peers and sharing your time and, uh, and what you've achieved with your peers. Now, I'm not going to do it, but I thought that's quite a good idea. You know, if I was a 22-year-old grad, it's quite a good thing to do, actually. But we do do it to an extent, Mike. Mm. Yeah, I guess salespeople do it a lot, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that I think it's vital. What I do think is missing, and I think they've alluded to it and they've got into it, but it's a book in its own right. And I do think it's missing from a lot of the salespeople we meet is that just deep, detailed skill in personal productivity. And I do think we need to be better at personal productivity than we've ever been. Well, this guy references Nir Eyal. I don't know if either Dave or Russell's read the Nir Eyal book. 
came on the show, Absolutely didn't Absolutely superb, that book. Right. Yeah. Uh, Super. Yeah, what's the book a... called, Johnny? I can't remember what it's called now. Some of the bookshelf, I'll look in a minute. Absolutely excellent. Near, N-I-R. It was a Just really excellent. good book about focus, wasn't it? Indestructible, yeah. it was called. That's it. Switch off all your social media pops and blah, blah, blah. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant, I thought. Yeah, yeah, it was a very, like, very like useful that. book. Very much. Yeah. yeah. And, and, those, and, and those are the challenges. So we've talked through a lot of those pragmatic challenges because it's, I think salesmanship gets covered in so many other books. And there's yes, one, or two, and one or two great nuggets in here. But when I read the title, I thought, yeah, that's great. I'm going to be talking about virtual. Yeah, yeah. it was a bit misleading, wasn't it? And actually, it doesn't quite get you go. If you were a salesperson... What I tried to work out with this book is if I'd never had any sales coaching or I didn't know any sales paradigms, could I pick up with the paradigm they're espousing in the book from scratch? And would that get me thinking? No, because I think it was just a bit of a rehash of previous books. Uh, yeah, I think it was in between two schools. Yeah, and I found some of it really hard to understand because it wasn't the full explanation. It was only part explanations of some of their concepts. And I found some of the concepts were just concepts for concept state, concept sake um, yeah. on several occasions. But at the same time, there were some really nice little, a couple of nice little nuggets in there for me. It was finding them. Yeah. I think yes. it was. I, I think, you know, Jonathan, you talk about um, forwards quite a lot. And, and yeah. I think the introduction to this book by the co-author, original co-author, was yeah. incredibly misleading to me. I had to go back and start the book again. <laughs> I started reading and I thought, this hasn't worked for me because he basically said a lot of books are being thrown together, they're hashed together, and this isn't one of them. This is one you need to read. And I'm kind of like reading it thinking, no, this is exactly one of them. Yeah. You, you know, there was a comment in there, we didn't throw this haphazardly together overnight. And I thought, it really yeah, you felt did. like you did. Yeah. What do you I make of the... So, so, I agree so, totally, so, Dave. So this, I mean, you're 100% right, Dave, yes. So this is obviously a rehash of this whole rain technology, blah, blah, blah. I've got to be honest, having read this book, I won't read the original book. <laughs> no, we were, going to we were going to cover Insight Selling on another show. I'm not now. Not going to. I I, we haven't really, sp we've only spoken about the virtual element of this book, and rightly so. But I think Insight Selling... I bought it as well, unfortunately. I think I think it might be going back on Amazon as new so music, unused. Music magpie. Yeah, new and unused. I didn't like I just didn't like a lot of the things they were saying, really. No. I just found it hard to understand, actually. It was shoehorned. It felt shoehorned. Even the the one to five, you know, they did the ranging on different to significantly different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was poor. Everything was a four and five. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> quite, yeah. I quite liked, I'll tell you what I did like that I thought was really neat was some of the stuff on collaboration and there was one bit on like this a, a chart. I'm just looking for it now. I thought some of the stuff on ROI creation was, was useful. Not amazing. You know, it was nothing that none of us didn't know before. Mm. But there was one bit where it was like a little chart of a, a, a diagram of where you are now and where you want to be that they would use in a collaborative environment that I thought was really yeah, neat. Yeah. And I really liked yeah, that. that. I thought that was very elegant um, as a way of explaining to the client, particularly if you've got that whiteboard up and you're showing them and you're working through it with the customer, this is where you are, this is where you want to be. And you can fill that in as you go. 
But it's nothing that if you weren't a confident salesperson, you wouldn't do with a whiteboard and a chalk and talk in a customer meeting. Yeah. You would draw yeah. it, wouldn't you? But I thought yeah, that so- was really useful. And I thought, actually, what would be interesting would be to see how people are demonstrating those ROIs. And, you know, it, it is a little bit harder. Mike and I did a meeting the other week, didn't we, where we've, we've just gone through a rebranding exercise. And in, in a perfect world, you do it in a room together with sticky notes and a whiteboard. And it is harder, much harder. Um, but we got round it. We used Microsoft Whiteboard, which we thought was rubbish. And we tried Miro, which was a bit better, but complicated to learn. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and you can do it and you can joke and talk. I think one of the biggest impediments to this, you know, they talk, for example, in the book about record your meetings and then edit it, send it to the clients. Okay, that's great. But how many salespeople, A, have the skills to edit a video, B, have the kit? You know, if I've got, I can tell you now, this video of this podcast will Mm -hmm. be several gigabytes in size. And it will take up significant, the moment I open it, it will take up significant RAM. Now, my MacBook's got 32 gig of it because I edit video on it. But most people's MacBooks or laptops don't because their IT department didn't think, oh, well, best I get. Best I get that sales guy a, a, a MacBook with an eight gig graphics card and 32 gigs of RAM in it because he's going to be editing video. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought it was a nice idea, but I'll tell you now, I don't think most salespeople are in, have got the kit to do that. Um, I also think that the, the other challenge is most salespeople have their, their computers locked down. They don't have the flexibility that I have as a business owner, or if I want to put some software on my machine, I'll just do it. Most people can't do that. So, oh, right, yeah. I'm going to put some editing. So I need Adobe Acrobat. I need Premiere Pro on my PC, please. Oh, and I want a day's training on Premiere Pro so I can edit videos and send it to clients. That's a whole other argument. And I thought it was a nice idea. And I really liked it, actually. The idea of recording a video call, editing it, sending different bits to customers. I thought, if you had a really, really big deal on the go, that's a really cool idea. But actually, the practice of that, yeah. oof, it, you know, Mike. You. Well, I mean, I've been, I've been, that, I've been using that for a while as well. But also, been what's been really powerful for me is the fact that it doesn't necessarily have to be well recording a video. You can use video in lots of other places. So, I've been uh, for for some of the big engagements we've had and some of the key key engagements. I've been getting our CEO to record. Me- that's a good messages. idea. Yeah, that's neat. Uh, that's, that's really cool. Really well. yeah. That's really cool. But to make uh, and, yeah, and, so and what are you doing? That's is he, a what's, good idea. What's using just a screen share app to record a, a quick video message. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Or, or even phone is, is fine because the phone's videos is okay. But something that's that come across as meaningful and pertinent relating to that individual or to that organization is really powerful. I bet that's, I bet if you tracked your conversion rate, I bet the conversion rate, that must have added a lot, I would think. Yeah. That's a good idea, that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Again, for our CEO, it can be uh, I don't know, key architect or someone that's relevant to that specific mm. person you're talking to. And sometimes that's more powerful than having them on the call because it's it's something you can actually interwine in. It's something you can send. They can share across multiple people in the organisation. It's, it's a good way of getting the message. Hmm. Yeah, Drift Video is very good. I don't know if you've ever used that. 
Um, brilliant for canvassing. If people won't take your call, you just hit the button and then it records the background and you can create a little video, maybe a 20 second video. And what I do is I send it as a link via text. You always get a response. Always. Wow, okay. So if yeah, if people have ghosted you uh, or, or just disappeared on you, you can always get them to respond. Normally I'll just send a video saying, you don't write, you don't call. Do you not love me anymore? Uh, uh, and literally about a minute later, they go, mate, I'm so sorry for ignoring you. I've been really busy. I'll call you in an hour and they call because they think this guy's never mm. going away. Um, but you can do it with yeah. a bit of humour and a bit of vibe. And it's so, uh, uh, you've used it a few times, haven't you, Mike? Drift video. Yeah, yeah, I use it a lot. Like it. Uh, but for canvassing, particularly with people that are hard to get through to, and they always come back, that's neat. How do you do that? That's so cool. I'm going to get my salespeople to do that. That that's a really great piece of kit, but we were using that before the lockdown. <clears throat> that's 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 the reality. When you know, again, when you're virtual selling, there's been a lot of talk about educational pieces. So you're educating about your product and what you do. I think virtual selling as well is an opportunity for you to show something something that they've not seen themselves. Yeah, you know, there, 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 there is a little bit of green space there to go out and say, hey, here's something. I mean. I've taken a lot of notes about things that you guys have been using. Right. And I need to look into that. That's, that's quite cool. Better look at that. Um, you know, and, and so, there, so there are, again, when you're virtually selling or you're in face-to-face, you're talking about building credibility across the sales process. And, yeah. and, and that can do so, you know, if you, if you take the time to find out the things that are impressive. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I'll tell you, it's been an interesting one. Let's do our marks out of 10. Russell, what do you make of virtual selling? What's your marks out of 10? For me, I'll give it a, a six, I think. I think there's some, some good points in there around virtual selling. There's some good points around the rain-making thing that's come from other books. They aren't necessarily the same book, but uh, I think there's some, some, some value from it. Yeah. Um, I think I, I am going to get one of my, some of my sales teams around read it, to be honest. Just around the structure of things, I think is a good read. Great. All right, Dave. Yeah, I'm going to go slightly lower. Sorry, Russell. Just, just, just with a five. It, it, edge, it edges away from a from a four because there are one or two nuggets in there. There are one or two things that I quite like that the diagrams are. But for me, there's there's too much that exists elsewhere. Um, and I and I, di- I didn't feel it was one or the other. I didn't feel it was sales or virtual. Pricey. <laughs> I'm laughing because this sounds so cruel, but I just kind of give it a three and a half. I didn't know. Wow. Do you know what I thought? I thought there was there was one good chapter in it that you know we've spoken about, and Russell was talking about about collaborating. I thought that was good. I thought to myself, "There's no way on earth I'm going to read the other book that I bought that was a waste of ten pounds." Um, I thought it was just, I, I thought it was a cynical rehash of an, of an old book that probably wasn't that good in the first place, but they did add one good chapter. It, okay. So I don't I, think, I, ever, I don't think Mike Schultz is going to come on the show, Johnny. No, <laughs> no I, 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 well, I was swapping messages with his PA yesterday. Um, but, uh, <laughs> well, the getting things done guy, he came on. I thought that was a proper two, that book. But David Allen's work is seminal, Mike. It's a seminal work on personal productivity. Well, what do you give this book out of 10, Virtual Selling? Um, 
Four. <laughs> there you go. I, 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 I think, guess I'm more polite than us, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> I think if I'd ne- if I hadn't if I hadn't read a sales book all year, and I was 26, it would probably be a six or a seven. There's some useful stuff in it, and it would get me thinking. Um, you know, I've I've read it having come off the back of having read New Strategic Selling by Miller Hyman, mm-hmm. which was a really valuable personal refresher for me, uh, yeah. and really refreshed some skills and was a good kick in the bum. I've not really learned that much in this one. It's made me think a little bit more about how I'll present with new prospects and how I'll collaborate. So I'm probably being unfair. I'm going to give it a nudge up to a five because it has made me think a little bit more about if I had a new prospect in a meeting today, how would I, A, keep them above the engagement threshold that was valuable for me and B, how would I collaborate with them more to keep them engaged? It has made me think a little bit more about that than just, Oh, well, I've got a light in front of my face and my video camera's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's given me a bit of a nudge, but outside of that, no, I have to say you guys have been absolutely super guests today. Thank you Brilliant. so much for coming on the show. You've been the best Appreciate guests we've ever had in the two times that we've had guests. To hell with the other two guys on the last show. Um, yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know you're friends. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, you've been absolutely great sports and thank you for being honest about the book. Really appreciate it. Um, and at that, what we'll do is we will wrap up and say thank you. We'll see you in the new year for a new book, which we will announce shortly. Goodbye.